and to be with you. And I pray that you feel the same. Pray that you feel the same. You know, everything that we experience in life has a context. What that means is that there's a sense in which we experience it. There's a set of boundaries or a specific experience in and of itself in which we experience other experiences. Simply put, depending on where we are and what we're doing and how we're thinking will help us see things in a certain way. Our perception is heavily guarded by context. So when you're out in public and you are at a public park or somewhere and you hear the word daddy and your children are with you, you turn around and it may or may not be your children. But there's a context there because my children are with me. When Robin and I went to Florida in February by ourselves for the first time ever, the first day I would hear, Daddy, and i turn around, and by the end of that day, I never heard the word again because the context was different. I was not with them anymore. You know. Same thing is true. These shirts that I've now been able to fit in after you know so many years, these shirts I've had for a long, long time since Jacob was a baby. But... Um, uh, when I took, when I'm wearing these clothes, people, oh, that's a neat shirt. That's neat embroidery. That's pretty cool. When I took it to the cleaners down here, a slew of them, they charged me the blouse price. And you've got six blouses and two men's shirts and a pair of slacks. No, 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 no. Why? Because of the pink tax, you know. The blouse is like $10 to dry clean. The man's shirt is like four cents. I mean, you know, oh, nasty men's clothes because ladies will pay it. It's just, that's the only difference. But it's not. There's a context. It's hanging on the rack. You might say, it's a blouse. If it's on me, it's not. But it could be. Does it matter? Living an authentic life is something that I think is commanded of us by the Scripture. We're told to speak the truth in love. We're told to not deceive. We're told to bear one another's burdens, to confess our sins to one another. Now think about that for a moment. How are we to bear a burden that we don't know about? What burden? Help me pick up this trailer. Help me pick up this sofa. Ah, The burden of getting it moved, which is coming up sometime soon for some of us, is, of course, a burden, a need, but also the burden of hearing, of listening of caring, of being concerned, of providing for simple needs, financial needs, food needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. And all of us cannot provide for all of those things. But that's part of living an authentic life, is having some type of relationship in a safe way, in a guarded way, that intimacy can grow and be experienced in the context of security To be ourselves. Last week I talked a lot about shame. And the week before. And how we live in a culture that has just become shame based. And I will tell you that this is, you know, my experience. It's not the point of truth for everyone. But for me, 
relatively speaking, the truth is that most of the shame that I have experienced in my life has, not most, all of the shame that I have experienced in my life has come from people who say that they are recipients of mercy. And it comes in large scales, in long scales, and great deep ends on both, on a spectrum. It comes from what are you doing wearing that shirt to why are you growing a beard to don't you know you shouldn't wear those types of shoes to why are you have jeans on in the pulpit to why are you wearing a suit in the pulpit to what are you doing having church service on Saturdays? What kind of church meets at 2 p.m.? Remember those days? We did. What kind of church meets in a house? What kind of church, you know, what kind of father lets his child do? What kind of mother fixes this type of food? Why is your hair up? Why is your hair short? Why is your hair down? Why is your hair long? Why is your makeup on? Why don't you have makeup on? Why is there a hat on in church? Why is there a hat on inside? Why didn't you open that door for that lady? I mean, these are just manners. But they're shame-based. Someone somewhere decided that sometime in the history of our culture, these are the rules. Somewhere, sometime, somewhere along the way, in the Puritanesque westward expansion, escape from religious persecution, the Church of Jesus Christ in the West became the persecutors. And we've done so so subtly. We've done so such a wonderful job of oppressing one another that every one of us in this room, in the sound of my voice, every one of us listening to this because they're away or isolated, Every believer and unbeliever lives in some way in a prison of shame. You cannot live an authentic life in a shame-based society. Because shame breeds fear. And fear, I don't have time for what I want to say, but you're going to hear it in the months to come. You're going to read it more than you'll hear it from my pen. But fear has been the tether to life for me for 49 years. And the irony behind that is I have preached for 25 years what? Freedom, rest, joy, hope, life, Abundance, glory. I mean, these are words that express something starkly different from the reality of the world in which we are experiencing presently. I mean, you can't even decide for yourself what's good for your own body without the culture around you telling you that if you choose this, you're wrong, bad, or, or wicked. Or if you do this, you're a sheep, a coward, a sellout. Or if you do this, you're dumb, ignorant, or stupid. You see where it goes? I mean, as a man, brothers, we grew up under this, didn't we? Our fathers and great and grandfathers and great grandfathers. Dummy, don't put don't put unleaded gas in your car. <laughs> Remember those days? 
Do you even know what that is? You know what leaded gas is? I mean, you know, now it's like, don't put that flex fuel in your car. Don't put high octane in your car. A little bit of spit, a little bit of dirt, a little bit of... And you're good to go. I mean, there's always some weird example of someone telling us at some time in our life what is stupid, wrong, or absurd. And we never think about it again. We never consciously go, oh, I'm going to filter this. I'm going to think about it again. But what we do is we behave in a manner congruent with that belief. And as a people, as a spiritual family, beloved, over the last 11 years, we're in year 12, aren't we? No. Yes. Year 12. Gosh. That's a lifetime. We've come a long way. We've erased and run and escaped many of these things. But when I look at the Word of God, when the Spirit of God testifies to my spirit about some of these bonding things, especially in the state of despair that I have been in over the last two and a half, three years. Let's just say four years. It's easy to see that, yeah, we've moved. But if the line to freedom is 100 miles away, I'm trying to learn to listen well again. I haven't been able to listen well in a long time because I talk all the time and hear. You see. And now this is quiet. Now this is loud. But those of you who listen well, you hear it. You hear what I'm saying even before I know what I'm trying to say. You hear the process of shepherding coming through. Shepherding is to take what is true that all of us can glean and then apply it in such a way that there's oversight and care and tenderness and direction. Not demanding. Not commandments. Not shame and fear and guilt, but no condemnation. If the God of glory is not condemning us because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, then why is it that we feel sometimes so pressed to condemn others in our own minds? And that's not the point of today. Today is about living an authentic life. Today is the closing sermon in the Psalm 40, which I'm cutting four weeks short. The closing sermon. Verse 17 of Psalm 40. I've emphasized it a dozen times over in the last month or so. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You, O Lord, are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. What does this show us? It shows us Christ. The Christ. That's not his name. That's who he is. Jesus. According to the scriptures, as David whined and complained and wrote all these psalms to sing and dance for and to worship with and to be authentic through. I mean, think about it. How many of us would write a an essay on our adultery? How many of us would write an essay on our murder? How many of us would write an expose about ourselves and think that it would be profitable unto praise? 
I'm writing for the first time in my life. And I'm learning that the stories of my days are just the stepping stones to praise. They are not me. And they are not about me. Beloved, understand that. Authenticity starts by knowing who we are. Jesus Christ knew who he was. Psalm 40 verse 17 expresses what Jesus expressed. Expresses what Jesus lived. Expresses what Jesus prayed. Expressed what Jesus taught. Jesus taught, I am not here of my own accord. Jesus taught, I am yet but a lowly servant. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Jesus answered every argument with giving praise and glory to the one who sent him. He, as God, was sent by God. What? It's not for us to parse that into intelligence it's for us to receive that through the divine work of God and rest in it. And it's what we want. It's what I want. It's what I want for you. And it's what I've been trying to show all of us my entire adult life that this is the point of living. But yet it's so easy to, 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 to stand in a place of experiencing the, the freedom of the gospel or the freedom of life and then to step right outside very subtly this way and then find ourselves in bondage just again. So then when we're in bondage, our lives are no longer authentic. Now see, this type of talking is... <laughs> Lord help me. This type of talking is considered what most people call in a pejorative way, that means it's a, a word made to malign and speak negatively, it's called liberalism. Because when we step off the line of pragmatism, which is doing and being and following the rules, we become liberal. Yes, hallelujah, praise God, for where there is liberalism, there is life. The word means freedom. Did you know that? But see the bondage we're in in fear? We can't even use the word rightly because it violates some of our political points of view. So we dismiss it. Praise God, someone calls me liberal for preaching the gospel of grace. They're right. Because it is a message of liberty. It is a message of life. And I don't care about people's opinions. I care about people's freedom and joy and life. Then I care about their, their, their opinions. I'm concerned with them, but I'm not concerned with their pejorative hate. You see the difference? See, we can't even be honest about specific and very myopic things. We can't even, as people say, oh, I, I hate this about something. Because, oh, you can't hate. Of course you can. We're not black and white. 
Not everything is just so easy to figure out. And if we say we don't hate anything, then we're not living authentically. We're lying. We're lying. And we're lying to ourselves. And then we know ourselves. And then we lie to ourselves. And then the lies become the truth. But then the subconscious goes, but this is not a truth about me. And then the next thing we know is that we're self-fulfilling all the prophecies that everyone said about us to begin with. Jesus is the one who is poor and needy, yet he is the God of glory. Jesus is the one whom the Father took note of and lent down. Why? Because we are the poor and needy. So he took on flesh, according to the scripture, to be like us in every way except sinless, blameless, perfect. And as God... The Son cried to God the Father, You are my help. You are my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. So we also cry in the same way by the Spirit. You are my God. Oh, do not delay. You are my deliverer. The one who was delivered is our deliverance. And if you want a depth of that, last week's sermon sort of Put the icing on the cake of the previous teachings. Authenticity. If we're not living authentically, if we're not being ourselves openly. Now, let's do a caveat here. There's wisdom in being quiet about some things. There's prudence in, eh, not being brutally honest. And that's not what I'm talking about. For some reason, that's sort of where a lot of people go, ah, nah, 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 nah. I'm just keeping it real. Uh-uh. Keeping it real is being a rear end. Speaking the truth in love is not being a rear end. Because we're speaking the truth because our love for someone else is more important than etc. And so, yes, there is a sense in which we are to say, there's wisdom in not being so open. But there's a, the problem comes is when we're actually creating a posturing of who we are and what we stand for and where we are in life and what we're hoping for that is not even who we are and then we don't even know who we are. So we're doing something that the world would say qualifies us to go to Hollywood. What's it called? What's the Greek transliteration for the word acting? Hypocrisy. That's the literal translation. An actor was a hypocrite. A hypocrite was an actor. That's what it means, but yet we have taken hypocrite and thought, hmm, we know that's bad. It's acting. So when we're acting in any sense, we're hypocrites. Authenticity. Who are you really? And most of us would say, I don't, I don't know. And you'd be honest. Remember the woman of Sychar when Jesus and John 4, you know, one of my favorite evangelistic pushes when I'm sharing the gospel is John 4. And this woman has come to this place and she's talking to Jesus. Jesus is talking to her. She's amazed about the entire intercourse. 
And wow. She comes to start to confess some things to Jesus that he already knew. And he says to her, you tell the truth when you say. (laughs) Do you know what she thought? She probably thought at that moment that she was about to be condemned. Because the man you now, matter of fact, you've had many husbands and the man that you are now with is not yours. Let's just call it for what it is. You've had many men that were yours and now the man that you're with now is not yours. And she was thinking, I'm condemned. But instead of condemning her, he gives her life. He gives her living water by the Spirit. He breathes into her breath that she's never inhaled before. And confronted then in the divine work of regeneration, which is the granting of a disposition to rest in the person of Jesus Christ with whatever knowledge the Spirit gives you, There's not a list of precepts that are necessary for regeneration. That's God's business. She swells into her lungs spiritually the fullness of living, the fullness of authenticity. And as her mind begins to wonder about all the things that she has acted out for her entire life to try to posture to be something that she wasn't, even worshiping at the temple in Sychar as part of her facade, she breathes out into the air of her enemies, oh goodness, I have met a man that has told me everything that I've ever done and been. Now you put that in there. Could this be the one anointed, sent by God? That's what it means to be the Christ, you know. Yes! And this is the day after the the very law keepers, the very scripture holders, the very oracle guarders have pushed Jesus out of the temple and denied his authority to answer to answer the prophecy to have zeal for his father's house. And they're dumbfounded. They're not breathing, they're not living, they're not spiritual. They're dumbfounded over there in Jerusalem when this man, Jesus of Nazareth, whose father we know and we know when he was born, they were not together. Ooh, shame, shame. See, the world's way of worshiping is shame-driven and fear-based. The Lord's way of worshiping, oh, hey, it's in John 4, isn't it? In spirit and in truth living it's living it's not laying under the rubble of depravity peeking with a straw to find a way to get a little bit of oxygen to make it through the next day no we stand on top of the trash we stand on top of the peak we are so high above the world that we cannot see the garbage below us in the context of our spiritual life. Because Christ was raised up and He rose up and He ascended up far above all things. You ever been on an airplane? You can't see the ground. 
when you're above the clouds. But that's where we are. That's authenticity. You are there in Christ. So this nonsense of woe is me, oh, beat myself and starve myself and throw myself on a fire and tear my clothes and put ashes and sackcloth, nonsense. I preach liberally, the liberalism of liberty. And that is truth. That is truth. See, and I know, it's like, I know what anxiety feels like now. I know what the physiological aspects of anxiety does. And I know when I say stuff like that, some of you are like, yeah, there's a little knot in your stomach. Swallow it. Take a deep breath. And let God be true. And every man a liar. Especially me. There's two parts of being authentic in life. There's many parts. There's two pillars that I'm going to emphasize this morning. There's, this is not exhaustive. This is my journey in Psalm 40. Show and tell time. Right? That's what preaching is. Show and tell time, lesson time, application time, and then we watch and live together. The pillar of dependence well, the platform of dependence with two pillars, codependence and interdependence. Now, for those of you who understand much about relationship, anthropology, psychology, all the other ology, biology, biologies, and isms, you know what those two things are. Interdependence is that we need each other and we work together. If you're a biologist, it's a symbiosis or things of that nature. We depend upon each other mutually. Codependence is parasitic. If I'm codependent upon you, then I suck all that I need out of you at the cost of you, you know, like pregnancy. All right. In life, I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline. In the church, in marriage, in relationships, there is no healthy codependence. It is always unhealthy until you get into philosophy and thinking outside the lines of the primer, and then we're just talking nonsense anyway. And I'm saying that loosely. I'm just, I'm being fun. A little humor. A little playfulness. You know me. <laughs> and you know I think about thinking too much to think. But interdependence, that's where it is. Yet there is, for the believer, a necessary codependence, a complete dependence upon another. And that is what verse 17 shows. Jesus, the Son, on this earth, was codependent upon the Father. Now, I don't want to get into our theological hammers and anvils and start beating this out. I'm happy to in a hobbyistic, loving way. I'm not going to debate this in the context of my eternal salvation. I am never going to do that again with anyone. But what I will say is that Jesus Christ was completely dependent upon the Father's will. He says it. Therefore, completely dependent upon the Father's promises. Therefore, completely dependent upon the Father's power. He was codependent. 
and we are codependent upon him for everything. But we are interdependent otherwise. How are we dependent upon God? Well, let me just give you a few verses. Matthew 4. And my God, verse 19, Paul says to the church of Philippi, my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we're dependent upon God for what? Everything. Our, his provision. His help. Matthew 6. What does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's the latter part of that text? And all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, because of this, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious enough for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. My wife has been one of the biggest cheerleaders in my life in this principle alone. By a mere statement of saying, often, quit borrowing trouble. Stop. I shouldn't give her permission to do this, but you know, a couple of slaps every now and then might even be better. You're borrowing trouble, dummy. Boom. You know, like when someone's drowning, they're freaking out. You slap them and then you pull them out. I've been drowning so long, so many times, so many seasons of my life. And more recently, I've experienced the positive side of drowning. What is it? Freedom. <laughs> Baptism into Christ is death. We do it underwater for a reason. We don't have gills. Rewriting the narrative and the spiritual elements of baptism, aren't we? And the picture in which it is so superficial. Thousands of years, hundreds of years. So superficial. We also are dependent upon God's care. Peter tells us to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus even talks about two sparrows that are sold for a penny. Hairs on our heads. You ever clean the drains out in your, kitchen, on your, on your bathroom? Where did all that hair come from? You! And yet the scripture gives us God, the Son gives us that explanation that God the Father knows the number. I mean, we don't even know how much salt we've got in the cabinet. Do I have salt? Do I need toilet paper? I don't need toilet paper. I know how much toilet paper I have. Salt? We ran out of salt a couple of weeks ago. We're like banging the bottom of the thing trying to get it out. How do you run out of salt? Because you're not counting it. But yet God counts the sparrows. God counts the hairs that falls from our head. And His attentiveness. He's not up there busy doing this. It's just to tell us the story of His attentiveness. How much more important are you, beloved, than sparrows and loose hair? We trust in God's care for us. We are dependent upon God for hope and salvation. I'm going to close the sermon out with this, but we're going to go to interdependence in a moment. Romans 8. Not only the creation, verse 23, but we ourselves, we, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan in, inwardly. 
This is patiently waiting for the Lord. Remember a couple of weeks ago? Maybe the first sermon in Psalm 40? We groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as children. The redemption of our bodies. For in this, we, in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he doesn't see? I mean, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. We are dependent completely upon the Lord's hope of salvation. I love the first, well, not the first two verses, but three, four, and five of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again, re-brought to life, regenerated to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Unto an inheritance that is these, listen to these words, listen to these adjectives. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Where is this thing? Kept in heaven for you. Who, you, who, by God's power, are being guarded, strongly, secured, sealed, held through faith for salvation, ready to be seen and revealed in the last day. And the sentiment, the mentality, the attitude, the approach, the, 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 the psychology, the emotion of living an authentic life, being dependent upon the Lord, it brings about the fruit of this, which is thankfulness. I want you to hear me, church. It's not piety, it's not putting to death some stuff so that we can look the part for those people who care too much. It's not for us to go to bed and go, you know what? Them whole grain noodles I cooked today, man, God is so happy. Eat whole grain, eat half grain, eat third grain. I don't care what you eat. Eat double grain. God is not interested. Because we're not eating Ezekiel bread and we're not eating Joseph's food. If you want to, it is your choice, but it is not pleasing or displeasing. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm picking on that because that's our story. In our 20s, we we're like, ah, Jesus diet. I mean, yeah. we want to be healthy. Great. But don't tether it to our hope. Don't listen to the, you know, the godly people about finances. Don't you ever go in debt. You better pay cash for your house. Well, I appreciate that. Mr. I made $400 million in the stock market when I was 20 and daddy gave me a billion to go. <laughs> Self-made man, my rear end. You know, it's easy for somebody who has it all to tell us what we ought to do with what we don't have. And then say, and the Lord saith, the Lord ain't saith nothing. Just understand what indebtedness does. Understand that every contract we make has a call-in date. Thankfulness. Rejoice always. Always. Oh, let's just stop for a minute and meditate on that. Just breathe in always. Breathe out always. Think about always. 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 You know, in good, nonviolent communication, we learn to not ever say always and never. You remember that? You always. You never clean up your messes. You always talk back. That's not true. When I'm asleep, you're lying. I'm not doing those things. But you're dreaming about it. I mean, you know. 
Whatever. You're always dreaming or thinking or wanting to do these bad things. No, I'm not. So we don't that. But when it comes to our dependence upon the Lord for our thankfulness, it is not in us. We are, some of us have the disposition to be very thankful, to be very positive, to be, to be very openly expressive of the things that are good in our life. But there are some of us who on the other side of that coin are just the bah humbugs of the world. And I used to be the attitude is everything, awesome, everything's great, woo! And then, you know, I turned 30. Depending on how my coffee tastes that day, it was depending on my attitude. Or who was around. I saw a meme yesterday, this woman has like this look on her face. It says, sort of like the software update that pops up. When you come around, it's, I feel the same way. Oh, no, not now. You know? You ever been in the middle of something and pop up? Hey, we'd like to update now. No, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I'm working. I'm in the middle of a GPS in the downtown Los Angeles. No, don't update my phone. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's our attitudes. But God provides through his work and through authenticity and through the authenticity of his expression of himself authentically. That's revelation. That's glory. Seeing the death of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ on our account, we have the privilege divinely working in us to depend upon God to make us thankful. It is Him working in us. Pray without ceasing. (laughs) Always rejoice. Always pray. Come on. How are we doing? Until we get these two down to an absolute perfect discipline, I don't think we should be doing anything else. But the sad thing about somebody like me saying that to some people from this position is that now some of you will be guilt-ridden into thinking I need to rejoice and pray. I'm just so thankful I'm having to pray all day, God. I mean, you know, that's... No, it's genuine gratitude. It's genuine thankfulness. It's genuine joy. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, we should teach a sermon on that. We should teach some series on that. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You see how illogical what I'm saying is? It surpasses all. In, that's just not going to work. You know, uh, yeah, you're right. You just keep on doing what you're doing. Hey, James, I, I, I just need to change some things in my life. Okay, just, just do this. Nah, I just ain't going to work. Huh? Just keep doing what you're doing. A month later, things have not changed. Well, just keep doing what you're doing. Or do this. No, nah, I'm not going to do that. It's just not going to work. You see. A piece of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, guard our affections, guard our emotions, guard our ups and downs. We're going we're gonna to have them. And guard our minds in Jesus Christ. And that's a complete codependence upon the Lord for all those things. And many, many more, but these are, these are ones that are just so important for us right now. I think these are the, the baby steps of this understanding. But the scripture also emphasizes an interdependence in others, in life. And and this is often where we end up failing is because we're so disciplined to be dependent upon the Lord by ourselves 
in our homes. We're so programmed to, to, to be so independent of others that we become codependent without even knowing it. We become codependent on our independence. We become codependent on our own strength. We become codependent upon our own identity. Who am I? What have I accomplished? And then in doing so, the subtlety, and I want to remind myself of what I'm about to say, the subtlety of being completely inward thinking, selfish, and self-absorbed deceives us. And then we're right back to acting, and we don't even know it. Paul writes the church of Corinth, you know, the best church in Asia Minor. For as the body, chapter 12, verse 12, 1 Corinthians, for as the body is one and has many members, so are the members, all the members are of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Jesus. But God, who has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one is honored, all rejoice. Now you, beloved, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We're interdependent. And when one of us is not functioning in thankful rejoicing, the rest of us suffer. And that, according to the scripture, is part of God's absolute purpose and plan for us. Hebrews 10, you hear this a lot of times in dogmatic ways, without care, and it becomes a, it becomes a rule and a law to live by with the fear of condemnation and shame. And that is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You know it, for those of you who are familiar with that text. And do not, no, it doesn't start there. It says, let us, right? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. But what's that next parenthetical? Not neglecting to meet together. See, you thought that that's what the verse said. Do not neglect to meet together. That's not what it says. It tells us what we ought to be doing. And then if we ought to be doing this, then neglecting to be together excludes that function. There's a reason so many people are so have such dissonance in the context of intimacy in their lives, especially as Christians, because until we have the ability and the strength to be authentic without shame and fear with each other, we're never going to be authentic in our homes and our marriages with our children and in the world around us. Think about that. Some are in the habit of neglecting to be together. But don't do that. Think about how we can stir each other up to love and good works. It doesn't tell us to be nosy and busybodies and stick our nose in everybody's business and try to formulate who we think everybody ought to be. We ought to be different. Everybody's different. Everybody has different liberties. Everybody has different levels of what their conscience can handle. And we're sensitive to those with a weaker conscience. Usually those people with a weaker conscience are the ones who think everybody ought to be towing a certain line a little bit stricter. Those are the weaker people. Because it takes a lot of confidence in the grace of God 
to get to the point where Paul has to say, hey, 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 the grace of God's not a license to go crazy. Simmer down a little bit. See, that's what Paul says, isn't it? Because the gospel is that pure regarding freedom. There's nothing you can do, no sin you can commit, no activity, no frustration, no anxiety, no fear, no attitude, nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. That's it. And that unsettles some of us. Antinomian, antinomian. Okay, whatever. If that's what you, if you think grace is antinomianism, then tattoo it to my forehead. I'll wear it proudly. Liberalism, antinomianism, stupidism, I don't care. What I do care about is freedom. What I do care about is joy. What I do care about is you and I living together in a way that we can be honest without fear that somebody's going to reject us or hate us or talk trash about us or gossip. It's going to happen in the world, but it ought not be happening with us. It doesn't have to, and I don't think it does. It has, but it doesn't. We are codependent in that context. I'm not codependent. We are interdependent, but not codependent. We are not completely dependent upon each other for anything. We are interdependent with each other. We are to be working together to help. There are things that I can do in my strengths, and there are things that I can't do in my weaknesses that I have been trying to do with strengths. Those things are learning. To, I'm not putting them up for later, like all the leftover screws from the Ikea furniture that I've had for 30 years, you know. Bag of bolts is now a five-gallon bucket that's now a tub. No, 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 no. Just throw them away. I'm getting rid of things that I can't do, that I don't do well, and that I don't have the gifts in. Quit trying to beat everything. I know what I can do, so I'm going to do those well. And you have things that you can do well. There are ways that you can help each other that you can do well. You can't answer everything. And you know what? The best thing to do when we have these things come up in our lives, in our homes, with our children, in our jobs, in our marriages, in our friendships, when somebody has a need and we can't answer it, we need to say, you know, I hear it. I see that that's what you need. I can't answer that for you right now. Try this. Call this person. Let me find somebody else to help you. That's the best thing to do. Carrying each other's burden is not to pretend like we've got to fix it when we can't fix it. That's silly. That then we, be, we enable codependency. So interdependency. Loving and serving others. In Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, the scribe asked him. This is Jesus being asked of Jesus. Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered. Listen to what he says. The most important is, oh, listen, Israel. He starts to quote it, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Jesus said these things, and, the, and those who were trying to catch him took a big proverbial breath and went, got it, yes, good, 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 good. Yet they didn't really want know what Jesus thought because they really didn't want him to be right he was right and they're like yes got it and then before he could take another breath before they could take another breath to enjoy the essence of that glory he goes and the second one of equal importance I said the greatest and Jesus is like yeah 
Here it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. For the first time in the human mind, 2,000 plus years ago, these people heard the record needle scratch. They didn't even know what it was. What was that sound on my mind? What was that sound? They heard it. DJ AD, you know. Or CE, depends on where you are in your academics. It's like punting them right out of the park. Love your neighbor as yourself. You mean the Samaritans? Not, you mean my other fellow actors in our actors guild we call worship service in our actors union we call the world and Hobby Lobby <laughs> our headquarters you know Chick-fil-A our cafeteria and the list goes on and I'm, I'm, I'm making fun jabs at cultural things we're to love and serve each other. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Look, let each of you look not only to his own interests. We do look after our own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's an interdependency. And we do need to take time, beloved, to take care of ourselves and take care of our own interests and to have things that are outside of others. We do need time to be alone and to build and develop our thoughts and our minds and our bodies. We do need time to find things that we enjoy doing that don't require another soul in life. But that's not an existence that will last, just like an existence that's completely dependent upon others will not last. We give and we take equally as we as fits the occasion so that why we may build one another up and I even read this I think last week he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body until we all attain the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried around by every wind of teaching by human cunningness by craftiness and deceitfulness Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom all, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. And here's the key. What does it mean to grow up? What does it mean to be mature? Here it is. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And love is not conditioned. Therefore, Paul would tell the Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up just as you were also doing. Do it more. So that is our call to interdependence. We are codependent upon the Lord. We are interdependent upon each other. And every relationship is interdependent. And once a child reaches a certain age, which I would say probably four or five, they are no longer codependent upon the parent. Maybe even younger. And I see videos all the time in, in, in records of people you know, who are three and four composing symphonies. And if they could reach the peanut butter and jelly, they could eat. I mean, it's not like they have to have us. But the New Testament speaks about our complete dependence upon Christ and His grace, forgiveness, His righteousness, redemption, salvation, and other things. 
Listen to some of these verses. The forgiveness and redemption through Christ alone. We are codependent upon Him in Ephesians 1.7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain, I've already, I've already talked about this today, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Titus, 1, uh, Titus 2, 14, he who gave himself for us to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We are codependent upon Christ for righteousness and faith. The righteousness of God, Romans 3.22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus Christ the Son, we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3, Paul says, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law-keeping or doing or good works, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith is a gift of God in that same context. We are so codependent, as we've already said, about salvation. But who? Through Jesus Christ alone. God is the God of salvation. He's not offering salvation. He's secured salvation. He's finished salvation. He's applied salvation. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and there is salvation found in no one else, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and faith is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may brag about what they've done. Boast. We are completely codependent upon God's, on God's grace for wisdom and for guidance as we traverse this life. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, this is Paul. Remember, he prays for God to erase and remove this pain in his life, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. And the reason he doesn't tell us is because we don't want to be so myopic in its application. It's like the pit. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul says, will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, Christ is strong. Paul writes to the Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The fifth chapter of 1 Peter, verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself lit oh, Will himself, listen to this, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is an authentic life. Eternally. That is an identity that no one can seize or challenge. And that's who we are. Before we close, I want to 
revisit again Hosea 11.4. Where the Lord writes these words. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaw, on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. But this is, what it, this is what it's all about. It's about a loving God not looking to whip us into shape so that we might be worthy. It's about a loving God who sees us as we are with no way of hiding anything from Him. And He loves us in spite of us. And He shows us that He loves us by putting Christ in our place. And when we eat of the Lord's table, we're reminded of the taste and the textures of these things. And we're reminded of the fact that God has fed us life through the death of Christ. And in doing so, we rejoice. And we fight. We labor. Life is hard and we're always seeking other ways to fill little cracks and voids. Other ways to posture ourselves in a way that we have an identity that other, my, others might go, yes, I see this. But the scripture says that Christ, though he was the God of glory, subjected himself not to that. As the King James says, thought it not robbery to lower himself. As normal English speakers would say, he did not take equality with God, something to be made much of, but he lowered himself to become nothing, obedient to death, even as a criminal on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Beloved, we will share in the glory of Christ physically. Because we share in the death of Christ spiritually. That's what this table reminds us of. Let us prepare our hearts for that today. Let's pray. God, there is no shame, there is no guilt. There is no death for us. And while we do feel and hear and contemplate these things, we thank you that Christ is sufficient. Help us to rest in a codependency upon you and your love and mercy and kindness and power and truth. And Lord, teach us and develop in us an interdependency for each other that oftentimes will be imbalanced but that's okay because the balance will turn in times of despair in times of need we can receive and in times of need we can give help us to be humble with great empathy living in absolute patience kindness and quietness so that we may be seen not as ourselves in great confidence, but that we may be seen as yours in great confidence. And we thank you for this truth and for this power in Christ's name. Amen.